Welcome to the Momentum Coaching Podcast. I'm a firm believer that momentum comes from knowledge and success. And I hope today's podcast episode adds another piece to your toolbox that helps build momentum in your coaching. Okay, before we get into today's podcast, I got to share with you something that I've been working on and I'm really excited. It's called the Swim Coach Launchpad. It's a program designed to help take your coaching to the next level, especially if you're in a situation where you don't have mentors and you're looking for a community and you're looking for resources to elevate your game. And what I need you to go is go to betterswimcoach.com and you can check it out there. You can click the links there. It'll tell you everything about it. Before we go into today's podcast, the beginning got cut out, but I'm having a conversation with the Arizona State University associate head coach, head of their sprint group, Herbie Beam. It's a great conversation about all things training and how to get the best out of your athletes. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. At ASU, you're the associate head coach in charge of the sprint group, mostly the men. You got a few pros in the mix as well. Yep. Um, have you always been... The, the sprint coach, did Bob did Bob hire you in 2015? Was he the one that hired you? Um, he hired me, but it wasn't, it wasn't right when he got here. I was hired in 2018. I coached at the University of Utah for a couple of years. I've kind of always been um, – that's just kind of where I've fallen into is working with sprinters. That's what I swam. Um, I mean, I was fortunate to when I first started coaching to be able to work with some very high-end talent, like when I was at Phoenix Swim Club. first year I was coaching, like I was still actually in college and was coaching um, Roland Schumann, who's former world record holder. Um, and yeah, just got incredible <laughs> experience there. Um, and then when I coached the University of Utah, just worked with the sprint group and had some success with uh, Paul Unger. He was the fastest 50 backstroker in the country that year. Um, and it's just kind of been rolling down the, the sprint path of things. Yeah, it seems like you're you're you had a steep learning curve but you like you clicked into it well like your your skill set meshed with it really good i got a funny story about roland yeah so uh he came up to me and said hi at the pro-am meet here in texas oh yeah um back in december yeah and he was like hey man i love your videos like that's so cool and i was like yeah dude what's your name like i was just (laughs) talking to him (laughs) yeah and then like Two months later, I was like, "Oh, that was a that was Roland." Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I was just like, I mean, not that he, he needs to be treated differently or anything, yeah. but it was super cool for him to come and talk to me. Yeah. And then he's like an Olympian. Yeah. And anyways, yeah, I was yeah, just he, like, "He's a great guy." Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, I met this guy named Roland. He was really nice. <laughs> nice <guy. laughs> yeah, that's funny. So you know, what do you what do you think? It sounds like, and, you know, just looking at ASU's results, and we're going to get into that. Yeah. You know, it sounds like you're, you're doing things right. Like, what do, you, what do you think, you as a coach, like, what do you think you're doing right with the teams that you worked with, the team you have now? Like, what do, what do you feel like you're doing right? Uh, I think it's really the, the process of learning and the process of constantly looking at each individual and looking at what, what are they good at. What are they not good at? And let's keep what they're good at and fix what they're not good at. And if you just do that over and over again, that works pretty well. I think we get um, too much into an identity of like, here's how I coach. Here's what I do. And like a, a system just, in my opinion, doesn't work at all. Like if you're repeating it over and over again, it's, 
it'll work for a short amount of time, but then it'll stagnate. Uh, I think you just need to look at the athletes in front of you and do your best to improve them. Yeah, man, I, I think that's awesome. You know, you posted on Twitter. I, I love your Twitter, by the way. I, I love your takes. Good stuff. Thanks for sharing. Not everybody shares. Um, so I, I think it's great to put your ideas out there, even into the wild world of yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you know, you said, like, coaching is 80% of what you know yeah. what works, 15% of what you think works, and 5% of, like, completely new. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a great take. So when you look at when you look at the eighty percent other than okay, we're gonna figure out weaknesses of each individual, like little things to make better, what's what's some of your eighty percent that you carry with you that you know works? Um, I mean it's really just looking at the physiology and understanding that and how humans as an organism work. Um, and I know that's a fairly abstract answer, but Understanding that, I mean, it's ultimately the way I look at it is you're looking at the competitive event, whatever the race you're training for, that's kind of the, the home base. And then as you, you have to skew from there to have some type of overload, but the further away from that, the less specific it gets, but that's where you can get more individualized. So it's kind of the continuum of that, of starting at the event. Easiest way to do that is just swimming the stroke in that speed. Um, that's, I mean, if you're doing that, you're normally doing something that's at least close to what you should be training. Um, and then you're overloading it in, there's a lot of different ways to overload something, but it can be on the metabolic side, whether that's more aerobic or more anaerobic. It can be, um, I mean, the movement side where you're adding something to overload, like how the muscle fiber contracts. Um, or a, a lot of different ways, but kind of understanding what the end result is and then working backwards from there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. So, you know, say you're prepping, like when you're, when you're thinking about your focus and what you're training for, how do you know you've gone um, too far? You know, you had, you had another tweet recently that was about um, aerobic training and speed and stuff like that. And it's like, You've gone, if you've gone too far on the aerobic side, there's this. If you've gone too far on the anaerobic side, there's this. Like, what do you look for if, if you've gone too far? Um, I mean, kind of the general rule of thumb, almost after every practice, I'll ask my whole group, like, what the RPE, the rating of perceived exertion was for that. Um, and if it's above, like, a 7 out of 10, it's probably too hard. Um in general, I want it to be when we finish, if they, if we had to do the entire workout again, can, is the answer, the answer should almost always be yes. Um, that's kind of the most, I think, unique stance I have compared <laughs> to a lot of coaches who are trying to just like grind it into the tank. I mean, I know when I was swimming, it was always empty the tank and just be, be done every day. Um, I think you should want to come back to practice at the end every single time. Um, and if you're doing that, then they have to have energy to adapt to the stimulus in which you've given them. And if you used up all the energy, they're not, they're not going to have anything to adapt to. So it's, it's doing that stimulating, but never annihilating them. Mm, yeah, that's, I think that's great. Stimulating, but not annihilating. 
So um, just to stay on the topic of like doing too much and, you know, the more you coach, especially specific individuals, you figure out pretty quickly, like what's too much for somebody and stuff like that. So you're not, the longer you coach somebody, you're not making those mistakes as much. But if you do something where you go too much, like if you go too much aerobically on a day, how do you follow up the next day? Uh, Normally as as far away from that as you can. So I try, like we have, I do kind of a very daily undulating model where each day is drastically different from the one before. I mean, like today we suited up and did some 50s on two minutes where there were actually everybody was the fastest they've been all season on that. And then tomorrow will be not a single fast stroke. So it's all really easy. If I go too far on the aerobic side, it's normally, um, so I guess there's two answers to that. One is if it's the aerobic side, like the aerobic capacity side, so the volume was too much, Mm -hmm. um, then we're going the next day, super short, like six seconds or less, normally a minute or so between each, but, but really fast. If it's the aerobic power side for sprinters, so like it was a long aerobic set, but they went way too hard on it. So they were doing anaerobic. It's normally like that same answer, but way less of it, where it might be a 40 minute session of, I mean, a 200 warm up, a few 25s technique, like eight 15s fast. And that's plenty um, because they've just kind of gassed themselves anaerobically. And that's the thing with sprinters is when we make the aerobic too fast, it, they, they only know how to work anaerobically. So they're just using their anaerobic system to complete that task. Yeah. Like they get there quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, how do you stay? Um, cause I think, I think something that coaches go through, like if we go too hard on a day, it is sometimes it's hard for us the next day to mm-hmm. say, Hey, we're just doing a 40 minute session. Mm-hmm. right because it's like but we have this is my weekly plan like this is this is the plan this is how much we have to do this week um what keeps you like grounded like in saying like hey we went too much so today we're going to be we're going to do way less and that's going to be okay like how do you stay how do you trust the process through that like what's your mindset going through that um normally because we have another practice the next day or that afternoon <laughs> so it's like yeah. if we don't do enough at this practice, like we can add more later, but you can't take away. That's kind of like the simplest way of answering that because that's, it is a long process and it's adapting. It's not like, like in, in terms of in season and out of season in swim swimming world, that, that means a lot, but really all that matters is adaptation and making progress forward. And it might get to where, okay, we might only need to taper a couple days to swim as like our lifetime best. And that's okay. But I don't want to get to where we're ever too far away from that. So we can't adapt. I mean, my goal is to have them go like, we have a max speed day, um, really about two or three times a week. But one of them is always, um, or my goal is to have them go PR and something every week of the year. Um, I think if you're not doing that, it's not that much fun. (laughs) And with sprinters, you're not like, you're just, you're just literally not making progress um, because you're just kind of frying the nervous system. And that's the most important thing. Um, So I'd rather have them be 
fast all the time because that means they're adaptable all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, so when you say go PR in something every week, you're talking about like different strokes, different distances, or like even whether it's kick, pull, is yeah. it anything? Anything. Yeah. It, 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 it's anything at all. Obviously, when we get close to the meet, it gets more specific to where no, like week before the meet, it's almost always like, okay, we need to go our lifetime best 25 free if you're 50 freer. Um, but at the beginning of the year, that can be from the blocks with fins, from push with fins, fins paddles, just paddles, um, just kick, just pull, just a band. Like there's a ton of variety in which you can do also like with resistance, um, all of those things, but trying to make it so you're, you're measuring it. And then when you come back to it, it's better than it was last time you did it. So, you know, you're making progress forward. Yeah. And when you say measure it, like, how are you, is everybody just kind of keeping track of generally where they're at on their own? Are you? Um, that's really me keeping track of, of all of that. Um, and just writing down the times on um, the, the stuff that really matters. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, honestly been a long process of figuring out what matters. I used to just write down all the times of, of everything. And that's where going back to kind of how I started coaching. It was, um, I mean, I had coached a big age group group was an assistant to a senior group and then had a couple of professional swimmers I was working with. So I like, it was really small where it was two or three guys. So I could write down everything we were doing. Um, then by doing that, I figured out what was necessary, what's not. And now that it's grown to where I have a group of 16 or so people in it, it's, if I can't, I can't write down <laughs> everything, but on yeah. the days that do matter, I'm like, okay, these, I have to record these. And if it's overwhelming, it might be like, okay, guys, you're going to need to remember your time. To, we're, we have to write these all down after. So you have four efforts, whatever it is, like remember to the hundredth, what I call out because we need to record these. Um, but yeah, keeping track of that is, is important. And Microsoft Excel is a, is a, is a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I, I agree. I'm, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get better at that stuff. Well, my group this season's a lot bigger than it was. So I'm, I'm kind of going through a process where you are like recording less things like best average for us used to be, we would write down every single time that sort of thing. And a buddy of mine uh, taught me this other way, which isn't like a hundred percent exact, but you take your fastest time and you take your slowest time and you just add them together. And like, that's your okay. score that day. Oh, nice. And that's a really easy way to get like 30 kids to yeah. have their own best average. And it's just, and that's that number. And we're trying to make that number lower. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So, you know, you, you, I'm going to be mentioning your tweets a lot here, by the way, yeah. this is, this is where I found your stuff and, and I, yeah. I really like it. And just, it's just, it's thought provoking. It's just made me think yeah. about, things that I'm doing. Um, so you tweeted, I wrote it down here. Give me a sec. Uh, so you posted about if the equipment helps you in a skill, removing the equipment will transfer to a skill. I might be messing up those words there. Yeah. Can you explain that thought process a little bit? Yeah. So basically in skill development, there's, constraints that you can add that change the movement pattern and what we need to what everybody should know about motor skill and motor skill development is that it's it's a constantly changing process and it's very flexible um but it's task oriented so 
a lot of people think it's repeating the solution over and over again. That is how we learn, but it's actually solving the problem over and over again. That's how we learn. Um, so, I mean, frankly, that idea of just like repeating perfect technique the exact same way all the time doesn't help us get much better technically, but repeating perfect technique with like changes and with slight changes to that, that's what actually helps our brain find what's the most optimal way of, of solving that problem. Um, so that's where when we use equipment, it, it's almost never like where we're just 20 reps with whatever the equipment is. It's normally going on and off with that. So they're recognizing what the equipment actually does um, or kind of in a pattern to where the equipment fades away or like a contrasting thing where it's two drastically different things and you're trying to do the same skill, whether that's swimming as fast as you can with two completely different types of equipment. Um, we learn a lot faster that way than if we were to even do the same volume of, of exercises, but in like a block model where it's all this and then all that. So um, basically by changing that, it's, it's, it's an idea, it's called differential learning in, um, in, in skill development to where it's a bunch of different just ways of solving the, a similar problem thrown at you. You kind of keep the average in your mind and that's normally the most efficient way of doing things. Um, so that, that's kind of how, how we do that. And then also it's, there's another idea called the constraints led approach where you're adding constraints that basically make the solution to that movement problem, what would be optimal. And our goal as coaches is to give them constraints that make it optimal and then I like to take the equipment off and do it normally. So right when it's really fresh in their mind, they do that. So it's connecting the dots there. Yeah, man, that's awesome. You, I need you to put all of that into a tweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about, that's the thing about Twitter. It's just so short. There's, yeah. it's hard to get depth, but, um, okay. So what are, what are some, just give me an example of like, this is the constraint. This is what we're trying to get to. And um, just, I don't know, just give me an example of what you would do. Um, so here's something kind of similar that we've been doing recently. So it would be like, let's say it's long course, 250s, freestyle with a snorkel, buoy at your ankles, paddles, fewest strokes possible. Um, take those off long with like add fins, fast kick, still like, fewest strokes possible, but constant kick, never stopping the arms. Then take the fins off, four 25s, max speed with 100 breathing. First two, just the right paddle. Second two, just the left paddle. Um, and then maybe finish with like two 25s at 100 pace, just perfect technique, and repeat that two or three times. Um, so it's a lot of different things, but it's all in the goal of like staying balanced, making sure you're pulling straight forward. Um, like the buoy at ankles and fewest strokes possible is good for holding water because the, the optimal solution will be the most efficient hand path. So you'll see when it, once you see people doing that and they're able to, I mean, if they're going short course and they're going less than 10 strokes a lap, that's normally pretty good. And, and if you're 
going out like that or anything, you, you won't be able to do that in few strokes because it's, it's an inefficient way. And the buoy at the ankles, your legs are moving around. Um, so it's teaching that and then removing that and just going into normal swimming or adding fins where the legs are doing even more of pushing your body forward. It's changing what your body's doing, but like the, the optimal solution is still valid. And it's like all of those mixed together. Normally when they just swim normally, you'll see them. It, it changes much faster than just trying to like teach it into them. Yeah. Yeah, man, that makes, that makes sense. And then when you're just trying to like teach it to them, you don't notice or the swimmer won't notice when something's wrong or those changes yeah. where the change in speed, the change in resistance, that sort of thing. Does the same thing happen when you just throw on resistance like parachutes or towers or stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, swimming with like, we, I really like doing the power racks because they're, they're short. They only go about 10 meters um, and they can go really heavy. So if somebody has like a lopsided stroke, and you just put them on, put that as heavy as possible and then have them sprint with it, it won't be lopsided because they'll literally be starting and stopping. So then it'll force them to pull like that and pull straight back because if they're pulling out to the side, it's, it's just not an efficient way to solve that task. So rather than, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's much more efficient to find a task that solves the problem than us telling them, to you need to pull straight back because it's like okay i I like that makes sense but kids have kind of been at least college kids have been coached so much um that it's quicker to get them to internalize and then they kind of feel that they solve the problem themselves and it kind of builds confidence and um when they race it's just go as fast as you can Mm -hmm. rather than I got to think about where my hand is and how to do this and how I should be breathing. They're just thinking, go. Yeah. You know, if a kid comes to you that day and they're like, Hey, my stroke just feels off. Do you think, um, adding these kind of constraints is a good solution other than just a verbal try this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not saying to never give the verbal yeah, feedback. Yeah, yeah. There's always a lot, of, a lot of work with that, but, um, trying to get them to explain like, where does it feel off? is that just doing that is pretty valuable because if they can explain that, that means they understand it well enough to verbalize. Um, and if they can't explain it, they're at least thinking and doing their best to do that. And then you kind of change equipment or change exercises. And if that feels better, then you can kind of, as the coach start locating which part of the stroke might be incorrect. Yeah. And that's, uh, it's very thought provoking by the way. I'm, I mean, I've been saying a lot of just me personally right now, I've been saying a lot of like, we're going to swim this perfect or we're doing like 1050s perfect swim, but you know, anyways, just thought provoking, really good stuff there. Um, so this, this may sound like a basic question or something, but this is kind of one of those moments where we're just going to kind of go into it. So like resistance training when it comes to shoots and towers and that sort of stuff, like what's why do we do resistance training in the water? So in terms of movement patterns from the muscle fiber, there's a thing called the law of least effort to where anytime you complete a task, 
your central nervous system knows it will use the least number of muscle fibers to complete that task. When we swim, the faster we go, the more muscle fibers it goes through. Like we talk about slow twitch and fast twitch, and it's literally a continuum. If you look at the muscle fibers of really tiny to all the way up to the, the fast twitch ones are the biggest. Um, so when you're doing a max effort, you'd be using all of those muscle fibers. Um, so when we add resistance, basically it just increases the muscle fiber demand of that. So when you're sprinting and you're just sprinting all the time, um, or you'll, you'll start accommodating. So it's just a single stimulus. But when you add resistance to that, you're overloading the muscle fibers and you can increase the number of muscle fibers that are able to do that task. And then when you go back to sprinting without resistance, you'll be able to use more of those and in theory go faster if you've actually trained them cor correctly. Yeah. 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 So when you're, you know, when you're, do you ever do resistance training that is like you're doing longer stuff with shoots? Like whether it's. Yeah. Yeah. That's another. Yeah. I like to do um, that in both freestyle and backstroke quite a bit where it might be. Um, same as before, like maybe buoy band paddles and a shoot. So they're really having to just figure out how to pull straight through here. And it's when you're doing that, you're not necessarily overloading the you kind of are overloading the muscle fiber, but on a much slower rate. Um, so rather than having that aerobic demand coming strictly from the metabolic system, it's you're, you're overloading the muscle fibers on an aerobic system. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's great to use resistance in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, in your, you've posted before about like books that have really had a big impact on your coaching. What are some, uh, what are some books that stand out to you that you think every coach should read? Um, there's, there's quite a few. I mean, the simplest one that if every coach read it, I think our, sport swimming would be a lot, <laughs> a lot better. It's just periodization by Tudor Obampa. I think it's on the sixth edition now. Um, but that just helps you formulate how to structure a season and how to organize any type of um, sport really um, and organize it in a yearly plan because we all have to do that. Um, What's the, the the lactate book by Jan Ulbrich? I'm blanking on its name. I think, oh, oh, the just, science the of the science of winning. Yeah, that one's that one's really good for just understanding the metabolic system. Um, and then I'd say the science of science and practice of strength training by um, Vladimir Zatsarovsky. That one's that one's really good. That's in all the anatomy of like how muscle fibers work, how we adapt to that. That pretty much explains everything. Um, but I guess the best advice I could give to a coach is read a lot. And then the way you read a lot is by read what you love until you love to read. Um, and that's probably the best, most valuable thing that I do. I try and read about an hour every single day. Um, and like, it's incredibly valuable to do that because it's one, it kind of sparks your interest and passion for that by just doing it. Um, and two, over the course of a year, it's like, you can kind of look back and realize, wow, I've learned a ton this year. And then when you get stuck on certain things in practice, in terms of like how a kid's developing a technical thing, 
you can kind of look for a book that might help you with that. And it's just like a cycle where you're improving as a coach all the time as well. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. I read way more textbook type books now than I ever did when I was in college and stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the book, the science of winning, uh, yeah, I've, I've read it probably like five or six times. And the first yeah. time I read it, it was like whoo, completely over my head. I mean, I, I probably wasn't, whatever that means, I probably wasn't ready to read that. Yeah. Um, but I would, I would recommend that to, to any coaches. I, I think that book does a good job of simplifying some of the, the training systems. Like when you understand oh, yeah. it a little more, it, it simplifies it. And, um, I don't know if it feels like that, that, that book, as you read it more, became simpler. And then when you, when you take those concepts and you make it simpler, like aerobic capacity, aerobic power, anaerobic capacity, anaerobic power, um, you start figuring that stuff out more. So, you know, transitioning into just talking about ASU in general, um, from the social media standpoint, Man, it looks like your y'all's team has great energy. Like from yeah. the athletes, from the coaches, like you guys got a good thing going there. Um what do you think what do you think built that up in the in the 5 years now that you've been there? Like Yeah. I don't know, talk talk us through that. That transition. It seems like your team's going through a transition. This last season was great for you. Obviously, anybody can look up yeah. um your results. Second place at NCAs, and um, you know I love the graph you posted of the school record in the two hundred free from the two free relay yeah. from ten years ago, yeah. and just how just yeah. how much progress you guys have made. It's awesome, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, what are you guys doing there? I mean, I mean, I guess sometimes it takes years to become an overnight success, and that's like exactly what we've done. It started. Long before I got here, I mean, when Coach Bowman got here, I know it was a constant process of like getting one step forward every single day. Um, and it is really cool to see how that works as a as a group. And it's 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 cool for me to where it kind of started as like, okay, here's these two or three good swimmers that I got to make sure they swim well. And now it's like this group that's. Um, semi self-sustaining <laughs> to where everybody's kind of motivating each other. Everybody kind of knows what's expected and now it's how to make that better and better. Um, now I think it's cool. Like it, it's grown so quickly. Like, I mean, we're just kind of been in that exponential growth for the last two years, really. Um, what What's interesting is something that I think put it over the edge was the, the, the COVID year when we redshirted everyone, we had, um, we didn't go to any of the college meets. We didn't really have much to look forward to besides the stuff that we did ourselves. So we had, I mean, every Friday afternoon, we'd have a meet where we'd suit up. People went fast. Um, we had some 132s, 200 freestyles. We had some like very fast swims that nobody except us ever cared about. <laughs> um, but once we did that, and once we kind of realized the power of the energy within ourselves, I think we started applying that to, to every day. And that's really when um, things started blowing up. And now it's, it's kind of expected to, to every kid who comes in to, to do that. Um, 
and yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's been really cool. And now that we actually had like a realistic team goal rather than like, just get better where it's like, okay, let's, let's go to NCAAs and see if, see if we can win. <laughs> um, it was really inspiring to see every, I mean, all 35 swimmers on the men's team, like a hundred percent bought into that. Even the kids who, um, kind of thought it would be a long shot of making the meet we're every single day doing everything they can to get better. And once you get a whole group of people doing that, it's, it's amazing what can happen. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you have an answer to this question, but like, what are the, what are the things that you and your staff are doing um, that you think builds that momentum? Because it, it has to come from the leadership. Cause if you, if you leave that stuff only up to the athletes, then you could have a couple of years where it's really good. Cause you got some really strong leadership, but then, when yeah. that leadership leaves, like what's going to happen. So what are you guys doing on your coaching staff? What do you think you do that, that inspires that belief and um, just builds that energy on your team? Uh, I think it's really just, just living what you say. I mean, I think all of us are pretty dedicated to bettering ourselves, figuring out how to coach better, how to get, get ourselves the best possible. And if we do that, that's, that's all we can do. Um, I mean, one specific thing we did at, um, like even at PAC 12s, um, was every morning, Bob Logan and I would get up, meet down in the lobby at like, I don't remember what time, maybe six, six o'clock drive to the pool and us three swam together, came back, then kind of started our day. So it's like, we got to be doing what these guys say, even the Saturday morning when people are getting tired, it's like, no, we still, we got to get up. We got to keep doing, doing our work. Um, and it's just kind of, I think if we do that as coaches where we're really living it and bettering ourselves where it's okay, this sleep is important. How we eat's important. We have to take care of ourselves. So when we're at practice, we're having the best energy we can and actually able to think clearly. And um, I mean, be mindful of what we're doing. And if you do that every day, it, it's not easy, but things fall into place a lot faster than if you're just thinking that it's going to take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think too many um, coaches get complacent with that? I think so. I mean, I think it's that, well, one, I think a lot of people think they can figure it out. And when you realize you're never going to figure it out <laughs> is when you kind of start to figure it out, at least. Um and when it's like, okay, it's a constant process. And, and I mean, for us, it's, I, I like to try and think that every time a new kid comes, a new person starts, like there's no reason as to why they should give us just like a blanket respect, or there's no reason why a kid who's first day should necessarily think that I know what's best for him. Cause I've never even, even done anything. So, um, restarting that with each and every person and each and every day even because it's a constantly changing process then it allows you to think more clearly rather than like okay here's the here's the formula we're going to keep repeating it whether it's like okay here's what my week schedule looks like for what we train um obviously there's stuff you figure out that's valuable but it's still like rethinking that like is this actually worth doing um, and I think if you do that every single day and kind of start with a blank slate, you'll be much better than, um, 
if you're pretending that you, you know what you're doing. And I think the kids are more open to that if, if, if you're just honest with them and, and doing the best you can each yeah. day. Do you think your athletes um, take some of that on too? I mean, that's a great attitude to have just like the – like, okay, you guys just came off the best year ASU's ever had. Um, it would be – as you get better, it's easier to show up the next day like what you do works and everybody yeah. should listen. Do you think your athletes carry on that mentality that like, hey, we're here to learn, we're here to get better. What we did yesterday was yesterday. Oh yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's, I, we preach it every day and it's kind of, once you accept that and kind of embody that is when you, you really understand it. And it's like, you kind of earn the stress that you have and earn all this work and all this extra stuff. And it's like, it, it's only going to keep getting harder. <laughs> and when you kind of see that, I mean, it's like, you think you get to this point where you ride up this hill and then you're just going to get to coast. And that is never going to come. It just, you just keep going. <laughs> I mean, one specific thing was like, um, I remember right after NCAAs, it was like the best, obviously we had ever done. And then it was just like, Monday morning flooded with all these emails of all this stuff I had to do. Um, and it's like, well, why did I think that I wouldn't? <laughs> well, like, why did I think that would go away? Um, so understanding that it's that and it's kind of learning how to love the process and learning how to create a life that you don't need or don't necessarily want escaping from is much more valuable than like, okay, once we get here, we're going to be able to celebrate for two weeks and not have to um, worry about this rather than I think you should just make the goal liking what yeah. you're doing. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think I think we put ourselves and our athletes in these emotional mountains and valleys when it's like we're working up to this thing, then we're going to stop when it's better, at least long-term development and long-term coaching too. You, every day is just every day. Like we're going to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one thing that my wife has had to get used to being married to me and a swim coach. Like yeah. we, we work on Saturdays. Swim coaches work on Saturdays and that's yeah. all there is to it. Yeah. And it's like, even when you talk to other people, they're like, Oh my God, you work on a Saturday. <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah. that's normal. That's what we do. We get up in the morning and we go, we go do our job. We do what we need to do. Um, yeah. So, you know, you know, back to the energy thing. Um, is there parts in your season that feel like you have a dip or do you guys feel like you're pretty consistent throughout the year? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always changing. There's definitely days each week times during the season when it's, when it's like that. I mean, there's definitely problems that arise that um, at least cloud my mind and it's like making it, seem like a lot of stress but trying to understand that and trying to get through it is much more valuable than um expecting like it, it's it, expecting there's going to be ups and downs and kind of not writing those too much i think is pretty important um but yeah i, mean, I think we're like any other team i'm sure there's there's i know there's some days myself and it's like oh i i'm just tired whatever it is um but trying to do the best you can before. So you're ready to just go through it despite how yeah. you're feeling. Yeah. So if, um, if a coach came up to you and said, I want everybody on my team to be better at 
the 50 free, what would be some, some simple advice you would give them? Broad advice. Uh, I would say really just monitor the max speed. So like we measure it in 25s cause it's easy. Um, and make sure that never is going down. So it's not, it's not always going to be every single week improving. Um, but if it's ever going down, then that means your training's wrong. I think about it as like a pyramid where the top of the pyramid is the race right below that is basically the race pace stuff. And then as you go further out, it's kind of the more general work. Um, and the race pace stuff is communicating with the meets as well as below. So if you're monitoring that, it's telling you normally if the stuff below is actually working or not. Um, so if it takes a step in the wrong direction, you know, there's an error with what you're doing below or potentially an error with, with sleep, how they're eating, all of those things are part of it. Um, but if that's making some type of progress to whether either the amount in which you can maintain or the, the speed of it, um, then, then you're in a good spot. I guess one other thing I should say with that max speed, one of the best things of advice that I've learned, I used to do it in more of the um, like parametric, more simple model of like, okay, we're going to do 25s on two or three minutes and try and increase the number that we can make in a row. Um, once you do more than two or three 25s fast, it's not max speed anymore. It's speed endurance. So you do have to be sprinting at a max effort and that's, you really get only a couple reps of that. Um, so I guess having like days in which you're going maximally and make sure that's maximal. And sometimes you might say, okay, we're gonna go 825s and the first one's the best it's ever been. Um, that might be enough. Like you achieved the max speed, <laughs> so you don't need to to turn it into an endurance contest every day, which is yeah, what we like yeah, to do. Yeah, I so. agree. So do you think, so say you were doing those 825s on two minutes, number two, you hit your max speed. Is doing those other six trying to hit the max speed, does that take away from adaptations from that that one max speed? Like do we fry the system? Um, not necessarily, but it kind of depends what the goal is. Um, uh, most of the times, like for myself, if I'm ever doing a set that was, would be eight twenty fives on two minutes, I'm, no, I'm going into that knowing it's yeah. a speed endurance day. Um, so that's the goal, but on the max speed days, we like to make it feel like the end of a 50 and you don't really need to train that to be good at the 50. Um, at least you can train it very sparingly. Um, but you, you need to be fast and you can be fast often if you're not overdoing it. Um, so I guess another good advice is to not think you have to do everything every day. So like some of the days where it's max speed, I mean, we have probably two or three sessions a week all year long that never go above 2000 yards. Um, and it's warm up is fast. The main set is fast. And then we go home. And that's all we do. We don't need to, okay, well, we need to warm down with 10 100s pull to just get some volume in. Um, you don't need to do that every day. 
Um, you probably need to do that every week, but if it's in every, once you've done it, you don't need to do it for another few days. You know, what I like to do when I, I talk to college coaches is, you know, there's other coaches that listen to this, some athletes, some parents too. I got a message the other day from a parent that listened to my podcast. Uh, what's your 30 second ele- elevator pitch? Why a kid should go to ASU? Um, I think it's the, the passion and what we're doing. I mean, it's not just, just the training. It's like kind of asking for giving your soul to this, which is really cool to see that everybody's done it. Um, and when you've done that, it's, it's hard to mess it up. And when it's not only the swimmers doing that, but kind of understanding the coaches are there with you and we're going to do everything we can to try and get you the best swimmer you can be not guaranteeing we can do that, but we will guarantee that we can try. Um, and, and that goes for every single person because everybody is unique and everybody has a different ideal plan. Um, and we're going to do the best we can to figure that out for, for everybody on our team, not just the, the Leon Marchands or the couple <laughs> at the very top who get most of the recognition. But if we can do that for everybody, the whole team's going to, well, man, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, good luck to you and your yeah. guys this summer. You got a lot of big things coming up. I'm looking forward to watching you yeah. guys. Yeah, thank you.